0: Welcome to our in camera interview with the delightful Lady Gaga. Hello, Alex. Hi. Um, we only have two hours with you today, as you're off only to the Only two opening. hours. Only two hours, and we got a lot of questions. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> um, I think we're going to dive straight in. And the first question that we have is um, from myself, Alexander Fury in London. Um, showstudio.com is a fashion website, first and foremost. Lady Gaga, we've asked you to be the ninth participant in our series of in-camera interviews because more than any other contemporary musician, your work feels inextricably connected to fashion. What function does fashion serve for you? Do you use it to underline your musical themes or is it another outlet for a different type of creative expression?
1: Um, Well, it's all of the above, but I think more importantly on a cultural level, I feel that music and fashion have always mirrored one another there's a creative consciousness, a, a trend that is part of the zeitgeist in the way that people think about um, art and colors and patterns and uh, music and fashion, music and visuals are, they're connected in that way. I guess I could say that they come from a similar vocabulary. So I guess I could just say that they cannot be separate. I, I need fashion for
0: my music and I need music for my fashion. Well, well, You're second. a very fast typer. Thank you. I'm going to read it back to you and just make sure that I've got the, the gist of it. And if there's anything that Oh, I no, missed... you don't have to read it back. Okay.
1: No, I trust you. Let's go. Okay.
0: okay just it's live. So we're ending it with I need fashion for my music and I need music for my fashion. Yes. Cool.
1: am I wonky. Ruthie, I love you. Don't okay. talk to me, Gaga. It's live.
0: Just moving on to our second question <laughs> now. Um, as I said to you just before the interview started, we received 25,000 questions. So many.
1: Eyes. Little monsters. Thank you for all your submissions.
0: And I read through the 25,000 questions for and you. And thank you. And whittled it down as best I could. Um, this question is probably the one that we were most asked throughout the... Um, the questioning process um, and in this instance it's been asked by Ricky White from New York, Hello.
1: Laura
0: Laura Bowery from Merseyside, Alexander Gray from Massachusetts, Ali Johnson from Columbus, Lorna Lee from Portsmouth, Sonny from France, Tudor from Romania, Marie-Hélène from Canada,
1: so wonderful.
0: Alana from Sanatana, Ori Akers from Arkansas, Tondo from Slovakia and I'm sure many others that I have regrettably missed, I'm very sorry. Um, But the way that Ricky White phrases it is, you are such an inspiration from what you wear to how you sing, but where do you get your inspiration from?
1: From capital H, I I, am, I think there's two different kinds of artists. There's people that need to be plugged in to perhaps a cultural movement in music. Or a movement in fashion or a movement in the latest fishing techniques. But I think for some of us, and I would perhaps say the same about my very good friend Nick Knight, who I love so much. But for some of us, it's a much more innate gift. It's a much more spiritual experience. We don't necessarily have to be plugged in to a particular um, movement in order to be a part of it. It's transcendent. It's an inspiration thats um, that we're born with. And... To be perfectly honest, I would say right now my biggest inspiration is my fans. I feel like they subconsciously transmit all of their freedom and their, their love and their joy into me through the show, through my communication with them. It's almost like we have our own little... Uh, spiritual connection that's completely separate from anything else. I wish you didn't have to type <laughs> this. Does he have to type it?
0: I think that's fine. Okay. It's quite nice because the idea is sort of if someone comes, just to go as an aside, if someone comes in halfway through the interview, although I know we've had some tweets that people have been staying up and it's four in the morning where they are and they've stayed up to watch this, but if anyone for whatever reason comes in halfway through, they can see how you've answered so far. Oh. And then later on, they can see the on-demand footage, which will be very soon. Right. I'm just checking my spelling because it's absolutely frightful. I couldn't even spell Nick Knight, which is reprehensible. Which is? Reprehensible.
1: Spanked. Well, how do you say it in London? Flogged. Uh, flogged. You should be flogged.
0: We should say that to Ruth. I'm sure Ruth would enjoy that. Flogging. Um,
1: it's like the bum film. It is. <laughs> For anyone that's wondering, Ruth is the impossibly beautiful woman that's filming
0: Indeed. us right now. Impossibly beautiful and very talented. And Just very like talented. <laughs> okay, we're on to question three now. Um, question three is from Midheeb Nick Hit. I hope I've pronounced that correctly, um, who's in Ireland. Um, did Raina Maria Rilke's theory that artists should not accept criticism help you stay determined when you were starting out?
1: Yes, I love Rilke. It's no secret that I live my life and almost, utter submission and loyalty to Rilke. I think it's important to be able to be objective about your own work, and I also think it's important what I've learned through my love of Warhol also to empower the people around you to feed your creativity. Criticism can be wonderful if you have a very strong sense about what you're creating. If you have an incessant need for validation from an outside place that is not yourself, that's when criticism can be um, not just detrimental but um, completely life-changing to your work. You don't want uh, the world to dictate what you create. You want to be a a fuse, a funnel. It has to always come from you. So yes, in short, I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. (laughs) Except for Nick Knight. Nick Knight is God.
0: I definitely wanna get, in short, I don't give a fuck what (laughs) anyone (laughs) thinks. And it kind of answers our next question, I think. Okay. Um, but I will ask you the next question anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, The next question is from Jessica um, Hebert Mm -hmm. in Lafayette um, and also from Heather Hunter in Virginia. Do you find it difficult to deal with negative criticism in the media?
1: No. It can always be personal because Work is personal, but you have to so truthfully believe in yourself and what you're doing, and you have to almost refuse criticism and negativity like a bad heart. The wrong organ was given to you during a transplant, you gotta reject it. You must reject it. It's a
0: lovely analogy.
1: I like morbid surgical analogies
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay our fifth question is um from perez hilton in los angeles um your little monsters know that when you began your career in new york city the music you were making and playing was sonically very different from the music you make now. What was the shift for you? Why did you decide to start making dance music?
1: Well, I started out when I was really young. So I was playing classical music when I was four. And when I turned about 11, that's when I started to write pop music. And then I started to play jazz and I wrote some jazz records. And then I got into ragtime. And then I got into sort of folky jam music, Bob Dylan. And then I got into Queen and Bowie and rock and roll. And then I started listening to disco. I guess you could say it was my intellectual evolution and my love of music just began to change and form. And when I was living downtown alone, I was able to more confidently look into myself and ask that question. Must I write? Must I create music? And I answered, I must. And if you must create music, what is it that you have to say? Why make it at all? So I, I resigned myself to make the kind of music that I wanted to listen to not what I thought anyone wanted to hear or what would perhaps be the most credible or notable. I just created what I wanted to listen to, what I thought was great, what I thought could be groundbreaking where I was living, which was an area where indie music was much more popular and pop music was considered to be annoying or corporate or unimportant. So I decided in true Gaga fashion, to be revolutionary and go against the grain and make pop music in a town where there was none.
0: I wish I could see all
1: of you. (laughs) It's not fair. This lovely window. You have a lovely window. I don't get to see all of you. It's not fair.
0: Okay. Just bringing up our sixth question
1: now. We need to build little teeny tiny monster satellites.
0: And this is a question about your monsters, which is great. Good. Um, Your fans do so much for you from rallying together to vote you to the top of the charts to holding mass requesting sessions on radio stations. Why do you think so many little monsters care and support you the way they do? And that's from Farah Marie in Santa Barbara.
1: You know, I don't know. I feel so blessed. It's so unexplainable, the love that I feel for my fans and how they treat me. All of the videos that they create and the lovely, the lovely notes and the, the artwork. I mean, just the other day I spent a few hours just reading through all this fan mail that was sent to me and sending back autographs and looking at all the artwork. And uh, I sit with House of Gaga and uh, the people that I work with in the crew, and we all rave about how talented and lovely my fans are. I guess all I would say is I think love is a, it's a symbiotic thing. Especially when it's real, so perhaps it's just very real and I put love into my fans and they put love into me and we just continue to give love back and forth to each other forever.
0: I have a feeling that my next um, question, or our next question rather, um, relates directly to that and to the idea of this relationship between you and your fans and sort of the give and take between both of you. Um, This is by Vikram Alexi Kansara in New York. um, And his question is traditionally pop stars engage in one way communication with their fans but your relationship with your little monsters is more like a digital conversation. Is this a conscious or instinctual gesture?
1: It's instinctual. I am the way I want to be with my fans. We have a very special and honest relationship. It's, it's almost comical to even talk about because I go on stage sometimes and I have had a really bad day or something's wrong. Just the other day, I... Um, I revealed to my fans that my grandpa's sick. My grandpa's in the hospital. And it's very difficult for me because I'm away and I want to be home, but I don't want to disappoint my fans (laughs) because so many of them spent all their money on tickets to the shows. So I sat down at the piano and I said to them, I had a bad day, my grandpa's sick. And then the next day, I uh, went to, as usual, say hello to all my fans on Twitter, let them know what I've been doing. And I had seen that there were all these lovely messages from them, and that worldwide, they had trended, get well, Grandpa Gaga. That has nothing to do with my music, or my clothes, or making an album number one, or a song number one. That's just pure friendship. My new album that I'm creating, which is finished, pretty much, was written with this new instinctual energy that I've developed getting to know my fans. They protect me, so it's now my destiny to protect them. I talk too much for him to be <laughs> typing. I feel terrible. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> you should just tell me to shut up. Okay, that's Fine. enough. Okay. I've had enough. My, your fingers will be
0: bleeding. <laughs> we'll see when we get, maybe when we get past the hour long mark, then it might be that right. I try to pull out the okay, one question answers up. and things like that. <laughs> but no, this is great. Okay, I'm just going to double check.
1: So you're typing time. and mm-hmm. sending them live.
0: Exactly this That's is uploaded fabulous. live onto the website. So I'm just going to try and... So advanced. Just making sure that we've got everything down. I did want to get in the thing about your grandpa and the Twitter, because I think it's interesting how much you use Twitter as well, that idea of... Well, I,
1: you know, I actually think it's um, part of why, you know, you don't have to write all of this, okay. <laughs> but part of why Twitter is so great is because for me, You can build trust with your fans if you use it for the right reasons, Mm -hmm. you know. People that argue on Twitter or are just using it as a a celebrity networking device. It's it's boring and it it has nothing to do with your fans or your vocational purpose. I use uh, the Internet. I've embraced the Internet in a pop cultural kind of Mm -hmm. way. I think about what would what would um, a pop artist have done in the '70s or the '80s if the internet was what it is today, and they would have embraced it. Warhol would have the, the, he would have done something beyond what I do and what we all do with the internet because, or I could liken it to what Nick Knight does with the internet, because it is so powerful because it can reach so many people. Even previewing music videos and things, Mm. I can use the television but the truth is that the internet is more powerful because it gives other people the platform to have a voice. Mm. You can comment, you can chat with other people that are watching the same videos that you're watching, you can make friends on the internet safely, safely make (laughs) friends but I guess my point is um, I think it's wonderful to embrace that there's now two windows. And that's mm. what I was just saying about how I wish there was another window right now looking out into the fans, but I know that they can all comment yeah, online, certainly. which is wonderful. And I will read all of your comments. I just, um, embracing the internet is what a, a pop artist should do. It is, it is the new era. It's, it's the way we live. It's, it's we, are, we are wired.
0: It's interesting that you're talking about um, eras and ideas because that kind of links on, this is a bit of a sort of volte face or a non-secretar to what I've been asking you. Um, but it's from John Galliano in Paris. Hi. Who is asking, if you were able to travel through time, where would you go? Backwards or forwards and why? It's a bit of a difficult one.
1: It's not very difficult. (laughs) Well, my first inclination would be to say to go to the past because I would of course love to experience and see all that has influenced and shaped my vocabulary and who I am. However, I will decline the past and I would say That if I had to choose, I would choose to go to the future. And the reason I would choose to go to the future is quite selfish. Because, and Nick Knight once said this to me, that McQueen used to say, you must never look back. You must never go backwards. You must always be going forward." So in his way, I would go to the future selfishly to feed my work, to make me a better artist so that I could create more forward-thinking, more innovative, more honest and truthful, magical, poetic work for my fans, like he did.
0: Good question. Very good question. Let's move on to our next one. We're on to number nine already. Um, And this is from Mario Testino in London.
1: Mario Testino, my friend, I love you. Um,
0: Mario asks, um, your looks are so extreme. Is this a reaction to something? Are you questioning or altering the status quo of women's rights?
1: Yes. Yes, I am. I am a feminist. I reject wholeheartedly the way we are taught to perceive women, the beauty of women, how a woman should act or behave. Women are strong and fragile. Women are beautiful and ugly. We are soft-spoken and loud, all at once. There is something mind-controlling about the way we're taught to view women. And my work is, both visually and musically, a rejection of all of those things. But more importantly, a quest. And it's exciting. It's exciting because um, all of the avant-garde clothing and the lyric and the musical style which was at a certain time and at once considered weird or odd or unattractive, uncomfortable, shocking it's now uh, trendy. So perhaps we can make Women's rights, trendy. Make women's rights, feminism, strength and security and uh, the power of the wisdom of the woman. Let's make that trendy. Question, Mario. Mario's fabulous. He's so lovely. He always wants me to be naked. Whenever we do photo shoots, we have rooms of couture, and I always end up naked. Do you mind that? No, yeah. it's fabulous. <laughs> Who cares?
0: Um, the next question interesting that we discussed clothes. The next question <laughs> is by Jordan at, um, from Louisiana. Hi, Jordan. Jordan's question is, what is the process by which you and stylist Nicola Formicati put together an outfit?
1: Nicola, we we play rock, paper, scissors. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, You know, it's really easy. Nicola and I, you know, he's one of my best friends and I love him so much. And Nicola knows exactly who I am to my core as a musician and an artist and as a girl. So it's very easy. And the whole House of Gaga works together. Uh, Matthew also, I mean, he's been creating clothes for me for for years. So we, we simply have a cigarette and a whiskey and we look through racks of clothing and oh, this is nice, this is fab, put it on with this and we just go.
0: But it's quite organic.
1: It's quite organic. There's no um, pretense or preconception, especially before photo shoots. We like to create on the spot. It's one of my favorite things about working with Nick Knight and uh, with Nicola and with Matt all at the same time. We all just kind of in the moment. Fantastic. And with Ruth.
0: Of course. <laughs> Um, our next question is from Nicola. Nicola!
1: Um,
0: when it brings it up. And the question is, what are your favourite and least favourite outfits we created together?
1: My favourite. That's so difficult, Nicola.
0: <laughs>
1: Shame on you. There have
0: been quite a few.
1: There's so many good ones. Ah. <sighs> I would, I would have to say, well, one of my favorites was the, the red McQueen lace archive that I wore to the MTV Awards. Mm-hmm. And we created the crown, the red, the tall red crown to go
0: with it. Um, that was the Video Music Awards, was it? That was that? the Video yeah. Music
1: Awards. And Nicola, that was very early on when Nicola and I were working together. I would also say from that evening, I would have to say my, my most favorite. Piece that we that we made that mm-hmm. we actually had sewn and created and we designed all together was the um, performance outfit for the MTV Awards. The one that bled on its own, um, because as a piece in itself, as an art piece, the the garment would actually bleed on its own on a mannequin without a human being. And we mm-hmm. thought that it was such a strong statement about fashion and art and how. Um, the clothing is alive, how the clothing tells a story, the clothing lives and breathes the way that we do. It's the soul of the work. I thought that piece was very special. I would have to say that's my most favorite that we created together. But there's so many, Nicola, (laughs) how could you even say that?
0: Would you like, so shall we go with the Red McQueen and the Crown and the performance piece?
1: Well, I have to give you my least favorite.
0: Okay. And the least favorite? is this more or less? You know, difficult? I don't think
1: I have one. I'm sorry. You're amazing, Nicola. We always nail it. I don't have a least favorite. No regrets. Always moving forward. That and was. of course, all the clothing in the Bad Romance video was in, incredible. You know, mm. the 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 and in, inspired stuff that we did, the McQueen stuff was so amazing. Um, We've done so much work, it's hard to, it's hard to like or dislike anything. It's, it's all part of who I am. It's like saying I don't like my arm. I like my arm. I don't like my arm any better than I like my foot. I like them both equally. <laughs> I need them both.
0: definitely want to go in. It's like saying I don't like my arm. I think that's really interesting that it's like an extension of yourself.
1: It is. You can't say you don't like your arm because you need your arm. And you don't like your arm better than you like your foot because you need your foot.
0: It's the same way you were saying that you need fashion. That I need, need fashion, fashion I need music,
1: music, I need it both.
0: And you need your foot.
1: And I also need
0: my <laughs> foot. OK, our next question. Again, it's on the subject of your style. And it's from Paulette Wilson in Baltimore. Hello. Um. Can you describe your style in one word? My style in one word.
1: My style in... (laughs) free. Free. My style is free. Fabulous. That was a difficult question, Paulette, <laughs> but thank you, a good one.
0: OK, um, our next question, again, it's a bit of a fashion theme that we've got going at the moment, so we're going to run oh, with this fashion. for a little while. I love fashion, keep going. Um, and it's from Philip Tracy oh, in London.
1: I love Philip Tracy so much. I love you, I miss you, I need more hats. I'm going to come see you later.
0: Philip's question is, what do you like about wearing a hat?
1: What do I like about wearing a hat? It is a nice barrier. The bigger the better. The more interesting, outrageous the better. For me it keeps the devil away. I always like when I have a hat that's big enough that can keep people away from me at pretentious parties. It's protection. It's a, a sense of home away from home. But what he meant to ask me was, what do you love about a Philip Tracy hat? Because what I can say truthfully is I don't feel the same about anyone else's hats but yours. Wasn't it Isabella too that said she would never take her hat off at a party? Mm. Would you take off your underwear at a party?
0: Would I take off my underwear at a party? (laughs) That's what she used to say. Would you take off your underwear at a party? Would you take it off before the hat?
1: No. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Depends
0: how big the hat is. Probably. It could cover the whole thing. Maybe
1: at the same time would okay. probably be more likely.
0: But I think as well what you were saying about hats is interesting because if it's big enough, it's a bit like sort of a crinoline. It's like you're existing in your own space. It's like an
1: eggshell. Yeah. My hat, you know, it's a home away from home. Hmm. My fashion comforts me. It's, it's part of who I am. It's, it's not necessarily a mask. It's just part of who I am. Thank you. Mm. that tea is good. I can't see what it says, Ruth. You should shout it. Come closer. (laughs) I don't have my glasses. Keep your chin down, okay?
0: (laughs) Even though we asked her to shout directions. Do I have terrible
1: shadows? Just shout at me. My fans love you.
0: (laughs) Okay. Now we're on to our fourteenth question. And Jeez,
1: I'm fucking talking yeah. too fast. No,
0: no, no, not at all. It's great. Um, and this is from Stephen Jones oh. in London. Um, <laughs> great. So, so it's another millinery question. I know who he is. Um, what do you think hats can do for you that clothes can't? We kind of covered it. A well, I kind bit. of said, mm. I,
1: yeah, I, I kind of answered his question, didn't I? I, they protect me in a different way. A, um, a social canopy. A
0: hat is a social canopy. I think that's fabulous. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we? Mention? I love that's Stephen great. Jones. Also, I love Stephen
1: Jones too. He's lovely and wonderful.
0: Coming up to number fifteen, so we're about a quarter of the way through. It's oh. not too bad, I don't think. It's great. And we're I a quarter to, of the way. I through hope I time. don't have to
1: appear. I wish I'd have <laughs> put a a party in the chair. I was. We could just I go was right here. the same.
0: Um, this is a question from Marcus in Sydney. Um, is there one observation you've made about the zeitgeist that has gotten the most powerful reaction from people?
1: well a, a few one being the hair bow and the second being I think something about when we put bad romance in the end of the McQueen show and then the clothing in the video and then that show becoming what is sadly now known to be his crescendo. I wish it were not as powerful as it's become. But I suppose that that I wouldn't say it was a necessarily a zeitgeist moment I'd say it's just more destiny
0: great okay I'll bring us on to question 16 I'm not sure if I want to give this continual update on where we are in the questions I think maybe we try and make it a bit more organic for me. I don't want to give you a list of questions. Um, Our next question is from Jefferson Hack in London. Hi Jefferson. Um, And his question is, if you could be anyone else for a day, who would you trade places with and what would you do in that place?
1: If I could be anyone else for a day, I would be Iman. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Good answer.
1: She's my friend, I could say that. Hello.
0: And what would you do in her place? (laughs) Whatever your mum
1: does (laughs) for a day. That's probably the most selfish answer I could give. She's so lovely. They don't make them like, like her anymore. What a fabulous woman.
0: Brilliant. That's a very good answer. I think you've got to have those moments where it's, this is really what I want to do.
1: That's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to beat him on for the day. Who would it?
0: Very true. Okay, Um, our next question is by Nabil Azadi from Auckland in New Zealand. Um, Kurt Vonnegut once said that humans have been telling fantastic stories from the beginning of time and that the drama found in such stories is something we constantly try to emulate in our own lives. With your music and aesthetic, are you another fantastic storyteller or are you showing us what real life can be?
1: Both. I'm telling you a lie in a vicious effort, that you will repeat my lie over and over until it becomes true.
0: Are we good to go? hmm That's a wonderful answer.
1: Thank you. Thank God. Can you imagine if I was really boring? (laughs)
0: Lying is always good, I think. I like to lie. (laughs) Um, Our next question is a little bit lighter, maybe. It's from uh, Jonas Ackerland.
1: Oh, Jonas! Um, Jonas is wonderful. He did the paparazzi video and the telephone
0: video. Is he doing the next video? Can I ask this? Um,
1: Actually, the Alejandro video was shot by the amazing Stephen Klein.
0: We had lots of questions about the Alejandro video. Well, I will be
1: happy to answer. (laughs) None of them, I'm
0: Jonas asks, what would you call the movie about your life? I think that's a difficult one. I know,
1: I know, I I know what it is. But I would call it Born This Way.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> okay, our next question is by um, Lauren James. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. And um, he's from Antwerp in Belgium. Um, Warhol is such a big influence in your work and Madonna is as well. How is it having a personal relationship with her now? After all, she did know Warhol and I think we can state he's your biggest influence. Meeting you for one minute was so surreal. You gave me an autograph after a concert. I can't even imagine having a personal relationship with someone I adore so much. How do you feel when someone not only so iconic, but also such a big personal influence is suddenly an accessible person?
1: Madonna is a wonderful, wonderful person. And she is so full of the most wonderful freedom and spirit. And she is so kind. And working with her has always been very exciting and very fun. And we have shared some wonderful, honest moments together. She comes to my shows. I ask her questions. She's given me advice. It's been my experience in the industry that I have connected on a much deeper level with the most iconic and legendary people that I have admired and have not connected with any of my contemporaries. But I would say the one thing that they all have in common, the legends, that is, is that they are the nicest, most wonderful human beings you have ever met in your life. And that has been, that has freed me. I used to be quite guarded in interviews. I mean, I would sit there like, you know, with glasses on and barely speak. And I I almost developed like an accent at one point because it was, I was so fucking guarded and so nervous that the media was trying to destroy me. And I let it go. And I let it go much more when I got to meet all of these people that I worshipped as a child, and then when you when you play piano with Elton John and you realize that he is a fucking brilliant human being, but he is also the most wonderfully nice person. I thought, well, I'm just going to be myself because I am a lovely, wonderful, sweet person, and I sometimes don't allow people to see that mm. because, I have to keep my hat on, and um, but when I'm with my fans, I I can take my hat off because they they know they know who I really am. It's but I, to be honest, I guess that what I'm trying to say is, as a segue from from knowing and meeting and loving Madonna, I've, it has freed me to not just meet her, but to meet so many other people that I love, and to have worked with such amazing, iconic people. It can be terrifying. Hollywood is terrifying. I hate Hollywood. It's terrifying. It's it's not real. It's completely fake and artificial. And and there's this tremendous sense of um, uh, tension. And and uh, there's no lightheartedness mm. about music or art anymore. Uh, but I choose to exist in my own in my own joy and just focus on the relationships I've built with the people that I truly adore and respect.
0: So do you think kind of meeting Madonna is, that's what that showed you? It was sort of like that legendary people are real people as well. And that
1: they are the most real, they are the most kind and the most real.
0: And as well, that kind of influenced you to be It has
1: influenced me very, almost recently, I'd say in the Mm. past six months maybe a bit longer it's it's influ- because you know everything happened very very quickly for me mm. i mean i've been working for so long on my music and my art and my my performances but suddenly the whole world is watching you mm. and they're trying to figure you out and you just want to put your big giant stinking hat on and hide from them to protect your music and protect your work and protect yourself and by meeting these people that i love and adore that I would give my my right arm happily, mm. happily to have been around or or learned from. I have I've discovered myself again. My my freedom. My um, my security. Myself. Makes me smile just talking about it. Fabulous. How do I look, Ruth? I don't
0: think she's going to talk. I think she's drawn a line. How do I look,
1: Ruthie? She's not going to talk. No. I'll get her after. (laughs) She's a lovely new haircut, though.
0: Um, Our next question is by Marina Abramovic (gasps) in New York.
1: I was just speaking about her today. I am obsessed with this woman. She is so incredible.
0: Her question for you is, it's quite abstract. Um, Who creates limits?
1: We do. We create our own limits. She is a limitless human being. She is so incredible. I went to go see her exhibit at MoMA. She is such an incredible piece of art in her in herself. She mm. and she is limitless. She is limitless in every way that I can even, in my limit, Raven, Raiden brain that that I do not possess the the the, the limitless brain that she does. I I look at her and she is. Um, she is so free. She when she when she she's sitting right now for like three months and mama all day long, and she's just in a state of nothing, of freedom. She goes somewhere else, and to be able to do that, you have to be limitless. And you, for yourself, she did this one piece that I think is the most powerful, and it's it's when you are around someone like a, a Marina that you as myself a self-proclaimed pop performance artist want to go home and slit my wrists and and i you know i am nothing i have achieved no sense of art uh, she is she is so boundless and she um did a piece i think it was in germany and she laid on a table and she put out all of these things uh, a gun condoms Sleeping pills you know booze ropes all sorts of things on this table and um, There was a sign basically that just said that the the, uh, the The museum goers could do as they pleased to her and She was they were not responsible For anything that happened that she would take full responsibility for anything that happened Somebody tried to shoot her in the head and, and another patron came by and stopped them. Somebody tried to, you know, fuck her and somebody came by and stopped them and they gave her sleeping pills and they ripped her shirt open and they cut her hair and and she was limitless and she created her, her own sense of limit, uh, limitless um, being and I think we are the ones who create our limits. And I hope to God that when she hears that answer, mm-hmm. she thinks I answered properly, because Marina, I think you are so wonderful, so beautiful and inspiring. And, and as a woman, I am, I am in your... You're a big fan. I'm a big fan. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I, as a woman, want to translate what her work means into my own life on a, on a domestic level.
0: Well, I think doing something like that—the idea of giving yourself to other people and almost relying on them to—I think it's interesting that someone tried to do something to her, and then somebody else stopped them. The idea of I governing. Fe- I don't know and, if
1: she thinks about mm. you know whether or not she is going you know uh, if she's going to die or live. I think she this allows her her mind to be limitless and in another way she trusts in her own art. Mm. That's what I she trusts her own her own she trusts her own work. That's what I, I take from it. I looked at all the items on the table at the moment and I said this bitch trusts her her own self.
0: That's an amazing she's not terrified
1: write. by she's the most scary thing.
0: She's. we are figure. our most
1: terrifying. We are our most terrifying monster and she's not scared of herself. Or maybe, uh, I mean, I, I could talk for three hours <laughs> about Marina, so. I love you, Marina. Thanks for your wonderful question. And notice how simple her question was. Yeah. Right, because she's fucking free.
0: <laughs> um, our next question is um, from Quentin Tarantino.
1: Another and, friend. I friend. love you, Quentin.
0: Um, from Los Angeles. Um, and Quentin Tarantino asks, name one song when it comes on the radio you sing along to but you are embarrassed that you like it, so nobody knows. (laughs) Um.
1: Oh, I don't want, I don't want to hurt her feelings because she's lovely. That Taylor Swift song, You Belong With Me. Oh my God, when it comes on the radio, I sing it so loud and I'm so embarrassed. Because I I so freely sing it so (laughs) loud, but she's a lovely girl, and she's very sweet, and what can you do? And it's a great song. You can't help.
0: Uh, Well, I think maybe it's because you sing it so loud that you're embarrassed, rather than the song is...
1: The song, yeah, the, is it, it's not—it's not a bad song. I've heard the
0: song actually. I think it's a great. song. It's a song. great
1: song. I think it's just because it's very—it's—it's it's very kind of um, whimsical mm. in a way that I'm not necessarily whimsical every day. And when it comes on, I just get
0: this release.
1: Yeah, I <laughs> want to sing it. You, below, everybody, every woman feels that way. Fab. So I didn't mean that in a bad way, Taylor. I think you're lovely and beautiful and I think you're a great songwriter.
0: (laughs) I don't think it came through badly at all. Um, The next question is by Ethan um, from Fort Worth. And Ethan's question is, what do you think is the biggest misconception about you? That I'm a character.
1: Or um, that Gaga is separate from Stephanie. We are one and the same. There is no difference. I am exactly who I say I am. And I'm exactly who you say I am. Fabulous. Would you say that's the biggest misconception about me? I think that's the biggest misconception.
0: I think there were a lot of questions people were asking about the difference between you and how you prefer to be addressed and things like that. And even I wasn't sure how you would prefer to be addressed when we're, because Well, like met I prefer before,
1: Gaga but. only because everyone calls me Gaga mm. now, even like my mother, but, <laughs> um, but when people call me by, but call me Stephanie, I don't. Mm. I don't, I'm not like, oh, don't call me that.
0: Maybe as well it links to what you were saying before, the idea that you were quite guarded and you've opened up a little bit.
1: I've opened up much, I, I mean, I used to get, I used to get so angry when I would sit down and interview and someone would say, hello, Stephanie. I'm almost like, you fucking disregard (laughs) everything I've ever done and all my work and you just want to get to know the real me, which means you know nothing about what I do and have no understanding. I I have fully um, committed myself to what I do and what I create and um, Gaga is my nickname. Gaga is my my gaga freed me from the the limits and the chains of what i was before i was able to be free and be confident and um reject all of the perceptions about a woman and what she should be gaga is was for me a a metaphorical quest to myself so i would never say that one name is more like me than the other they're Mm. both they're both exactly who I am. I am one person. I might have several personalities, certainly. <laughs> and I'm probably slightly schizophrenic, but but I'm
0: that's me. Fantastic. Okay, um the next question is by Eddie Sleman. Eddie!
1: Um
0: Eddie's question, Eddie?
1: Eddie's question. I love is, Eddie so much.
0: Eddie's question's quite complex. I'm sure hope,
1: it is. Thank <laughs> you, Eddie. I hope I've got the
0: wording of it correct. Um Eddie's question is, let's talk about the discrepancy between your private and your public lives. Where is the line? When is the precise second when it switches? Do you feel the need to take a deep breath and do the thing? Or does it always feel like you're on stage? I hope I've got the gist of what he wanted to, to ask. I know
1: exactly what he's asking me. <laughs> Well, there's two there's two parts to that question the first part in the way is the discrepancy between the private and the public life one in many ways I believe as an artist that being private in public is at the core of the aesthetic or the message. However, I profusely lie about my personal relationships in an effort to protect that aesthetic and that message. Because today, people are distracted by unimportant things. Like for example, what my diet is, or who I'm fucking. Now the second part of the question said when is the precise moment when it switches? I would like to be able to say that when there is a dick inside me that, that, that the, the, the moment switches. But it doesn't always, I'll be honest, sometimes it doesn't and I, and I, do, I do quite often feel like I'm on stage all the time. And I also persistently believe that life is a stage and that life is my stage on which to be an artist. When I'm sleeping, it is an art when I am dancing, when I'm singing, when I'm making breakfast. But there is a moment of freedom where somehow the, the stage disappears.
0: And when's that? Is it precise or is it kind of a changing moment every now and again? When
1: I cry. I would have to say most honestly when I cry. Whether I'm on stage or off stage or alone or with someone, almost instantly when I cry, the stage disappears. Even when I cry on stage with my fans, somehow it becomes... About you. A living room, and it's not a stage anymore. And there's something very honest. But it has nothing to do with taking off a wig or smearing my lipstick. It doesn't even have anything to do with whether or not I've had an orgasm. It's much deeper than that. So, oh, Eddie, I don't know if I asked your impossibly difficult and deep, in-depth question, but I appreciate it and I love you and I would expect nothing but that from Eddie.
0: Fantastic. I think maybe it goes a little bit lighter after Eddie's question. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie's great. I knew he would. And it does. Um, our next question is by Surapi in India. And um, their question is, what did you wear to your prom?
1: I wore a black car wash dress. It was made out of uh, um, chiffon, wrapped around like a black tube dress. And then the it was very, very short, and then it had these long black strips, like, in a car wash. Oh,
0: yeah, like what you walk. Your car goes through the strip? Yes. Yeah, I know what you mean. Very
1: long, lots of them. And it, at the end it faded into grey of it. It was, it was, it was great. I think it was $300, I remember. It was so expensive and my mother was screaming and I was, I have to have it, it's perfect. And all the girls are wearing. And I was so upset and it was it was so, $300, we were like, my mother was like, not a chance are you? Are I buying that for you. And I begged her and begged her and begged her. And then she surprised me. I had a job though, so.
0: Do you still have it?
1: The dress? Yeah. You know, I bet my mother fucking does have it because she keeps everything. She's so Italian.
0: Um, Our next question uh, sort of links in with that idea um, and it's by Corin in Israel. And the question is, how did your old classmates and teachers react to the fact that you're now one of the most popular people in the world?
1: My classmates?
0: Classmates, old classmates and teachers.
1: Well, my old classmates, I don't know, I don't really speak to all of them, but uh, my closest, closest girlfriends are wonderful and haven't changed a bit. And as for the school, that has been a a bit more of a um, kind of sad experience for me. The teachers have been wonderful, but the administration of the school, also many of which I don't really know the the nuns that used to run the school that I still know were lovely and they love me but um, and also the especially the English teachers and uh, the head of the school that I uh, was very close with they were wild feminists and and instilled so much good good wisdom in, in us and I I have really nothing bad to say about where I went to school because they really gave us such a wonderful education and the teachers were wonderful but I will say I've been I've been really sad about um, some of the things that have happened uh, with my with my high school because um, my sister goes there and my family worked so hard my my parents were not rich mm. they they spent every dollar that they made on me and my sister going to the most wonderful expensive private school that they could afford because they wanted us to have opportunities that they didn't have and and um I suppose in in an attempt to uh, also say something about religion as a Catholic school I've been slightly um, put off by the very un-Catholic way that they have responded to my success and how supportive my family has been to them for over 20 years as a school it's um I don't like to say bad things, but... It's
0: disappointing. It's
1: been really... No, I wouldn't even say disappointing. It's been more sad because I ha- I have such a lovely memory of my schooling. And I know how much... It's going to make me cry. I know how much <laughs> my parents didn't... have things because they wanted my sister and I to have things. And... Um, The way that my family has been treated has really made me, really made me sad because they gave, they gave the school everything so that my sister and I could have a wonderful education. You know, every charity, every auction, every time the chapel needed refurnishing or, you know, they were so giving. My my mother and father are the most giving, wonderful Christian people. No judgment. They taught my sister and I to be so free and no judgment. And um, there is such a diluted sense of religion and what, what is right. And Perhaps the school's just not what it used to be makes me very, very sad. I'll sh- I'm sure they'll <laughs> really love that I was so honest.
0: No, you should as well. be. Well, but it's I have
1: to be honest about um, something that's that
0: personal and close. It's to so you.
1: personal, and I don't want to lie. Mm. I don't want to lie because the truth is that my closest friends and family. Have been so wonderful and I'm so grounded and I'm myself and I and I I, you know I don't give a a shit about money or or yachts or big houses or fucking dinner parties and uh, I think it's it's really wrong to judge people and I think it's really wrong to place a social importance on a family or a human being. I think it's really wrong and I I would never do that to someone and it's it's everything I'm against. So I have to be honest about it because Mm. it's how I truly feel. And my sister is the most lovely, wonderful, precious person. But I will say, I will say that the teachers at the school are the best and the most wonderful, brilliant teachers they are truly magical, and Sister Bio, Mrs. Price, Dr. Lampidas, um, just so, just so many wonderful,
0: wonderful teachers. Great. Thank you for being so honest. Um, now th- our next question is has been asked by um, George in Lisbon and also by Ari Emanuel in Los Angeles. Um, you always knew you wanted to be famous. What is the most unexpected part of that, the thing you never accounted for or imagined?
1: The love that I feel for my fans, the love that they've given to me. That is like, it's so precious. It's You can't even imagine it until you... I, imagine, I must sound like how when women give birth, they say, you can't imagine how you feel when you give birth. That's how I feel. I, you can't imagine it. They are so... It was so funny this morning. One of my fans got my phone number. So they were so sweet. They sent me a photo of them with these masks on, and they were going to uh, her 21st birthday, and they, they were calling me and texting me and telling me how much i inspire them and i i started to talk <laughs> to respond and talk to them because i felt so bad i didn't want to ignore them i knew they knew it was me so i just told them how much i loved them and they were like we love you mother monster you're so super amazing and we're wearing these masks because we love you and you've changed our lives and i can be myself and i started i was laying in bed crying because i love them so much and they were said to be these sweet little photos and i was scolding them to be safe and not drink too much even though it was their 21st birthday and
0: i think it's it's interesting you saying that because as well from the number of questions we had that were just i really love her will you you know will you let her know that i love her and Uh it's just it's you know just like i know it's not a question but and there was so much kind of love coming through from these comments and people seem so grateful to kind of have the chance to Send they're wonderful
1: and some and I would say most of them are quite troubled I mean mm. I look out into the audience and it's like looking into tiny mirrors, you know They all remind me of myself and they're all So many of them have you know They're insecure or they hate their parents or they don't fit in at school or they are you know, they're cutters or they they're depre- depression or And some of them are nine and just like pop music and some of them are 35 and uh, you know are on a night out in the town with the boys and it it varies but I would say that there's a vast majority of them that are quite troubled and looking to fit in and they feel like freaks and they want to go out to raise their freak flag high above their head and be freed and that's what the show is all about. The show is a, a safe place for them and that's what I say at the very beginning of the show I say I created this show I created the monster ball so that my fans would have a place to go a safe place an electric chapel
0: like a hat it's their hats social canopy canopy. (laughs) Um, our next question is um, from Jennifer from New York And Jennifer's question is, how has your fame affected your relationships with your friends and family, if at all?
1: Um, At one point, you know, it's it's hard on people. And, you know, at one point I was slightly insensitive about it because I was like, what's the big deal? Because I have zero concept of my fame or Mm. what that even means or how big or small I am or how culturally relevant or irrelevant I am. So I was slightly insensitive at first and... You know, I had arguments with my parents, and you know, um, I said, uh, "You know, you guys got to get it together. You have to stop freaking." Out. It, was, it was hard, you know, for everyone. Uh, I don't want my parents to be incessantly asked about me all the time, or my friends, or can you ask her to do this, or you know, it's it's difficult uh, on friends and family, but we made it through, and and. I think part of making it through is that I started to grow up a little bit and for myself be able to understand how my career has affected the people that I love, and I've been able to kind of be more objective about Mm -hmm. it, which I wasn't able to do before because, and and I still, to be quite frank, I have no fucking clue how people perceive me, so so (laughs) my mom sometimes is like, trying to explain it to me and I'm like mom what are you t- what are you trying to say and and she doesn't you know but she in, a, in another way I think that my friends and family love that about me because uh, um, I, I'm still very much just an Italian girl from New York that's been you know that's got a lot of light on her face <laughs> and it's trying to follow the spotlight but doesn't really know what's going on so I'm, I'm very naive and in that in that way, so um, it's okay now. Everyone's okay everyone's now. good. I haven't really lost any anyone. I've got a few people, but you know, your your real friends, the real people that you love, they're there. Brilliant. Oh, I'm gonna have to pee soon. I'm gonna <laughs> die.
0: Fantastic. Okay, we're over halfway through. Oh. Which is good, I think. We're making good time. Okay, our next question um, was asked by Star from Pittsburgh and also Bryce from Star. Houston. that's a lovely name. Do you ever wish that you weren't famous?
1: Do I ever wish I wasn't famous? Well, I've always been famous. Nobody, just nobody knew about it. Fame is on the inside, it's not on the outside. So I guess you could say the fame is something that I've always felt and that thing I want my fans to feel, that self-love, that inner confidence. But um, do I wish I wasn't famous today in the media definition of what Mm. fame is? No, I don't wish I wasn't famous. I do wish sometimes I had a more privacy and could uh, get drunk and vomit in a corner and not <laughs> be photographed or videoed while doing it. But, you know, there's sacrifices that you make. And the trade-off in that question is, if I wasn't famous, I wouldn't have all of you. Hmm. You know, I wouldn't have all my little monsters if I wasn't famous. And I would never give that or them up for anything. So, No. Oh, they wanted to let me know I could stop for a pee break. Okay.
0: Do you want to do the pee break? No, it's
1: okay.
0: Shall we go on? I'll be fine. I need to pee too.
1: You have to pee too.
0: But I think maybe it's going to sharpen us up, and we'll get these questions out really quick. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try. Let's see if it works. Urgency. Okay. um, Our next question is by Colin McDowell from London, Um, and his question is. You are seen as super, uh, um, you are seen as super ballistic space age modern. But what do you feel about the dress of past centuries as a basis for your costumes?
1: Um, does he mean like 1800s,
0: 1700s? I think so. I think he means kind of the idea that there are ideas culled from the past in these. They, they look very futuristic, but you could maybe. Look oh at yes, the
1: well we've done that. Mm. Uh, I mean the the uh, MTV. Performance outfit was quite romantic, but yet very futuristic because it bled, it bled on its own. I think it's important to to. I think you know, a knowledge of what has been done before is very important. I think that it it it's it, it's important to know what has happened before, but I, I also think it's important to be original and and strive for, and I'm still working on it, you know, I, I mean, I reference mm-hmm. constantly, but I, I have most recently felt that I've had some really truly original moments, and if you get one really good original moment your whole career, you're, you're solid. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I, I push for that every, every day.
0: Our next question is by Jordan Holloway from Morgantown in West Virginia, I believe. Um, What is the craziest outfit you've seen worn by one of your monsters at the Monster Ball?
1: Craziest? Well, I don't know. They're all so great. I love when they get get all dressed up. It's so amazing. Sometimes I get distracted during the show because (laughs) I'm just (laughs) lollying, looking out into the audience. One of my favorites, which was quite committed, was this boy came dressed fully as Kermit the Frog because it was when I brought Kermit as my date. Mm. And um, I guess he wanted me to think my boyfriend was in the audience because Kermit was my boyfriend at the time. So I thought that was quite committed because he he had the full head mask, the the whole thing, and it was so hot. In, it was back when I was doing the Faint Ball, so mm-hmm. it was more a club. It was a nightclub. So it was so blistering hot. I was thinking he is so committed in that in that suit. But there's been some amazing ones. I mean, they're always amazing, the, the caution tape, the the cone heads, the 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 cigarette glasses burning in the audience while I'm while I'm jumping up and down and people are screaming. The crystal dresses, crystal hats, the mirrored outfits, the mirrored I mean I couldn't possibly choose one, they are all so wonderful. But uh, I liked his because he didn't make it and it was so difficult to wear and he was so hot so I thought he really suffered for his his (laughs) moment. And so I noticed it.
0: Suffered for his art. He
1: suffered for his art.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Our next question is from um, Kristin Lang. Uh, sorry, Kristin Fritz in Minnesota. What is the one thing that you hope your fans take away from you as a person and your music?
1: I want them to love themselves. If I could for a moment just inspire you to love yourself, that would be worth everything.
0: Um, our next question is from Edison Chen in China and um, his question is what is the most obnoxious thing a male fan has ever done or said to you
1: obnoxious
0: obnoxious
1: never obnoxious <laughs> I would say I quite enjoy when I um, when fans are waiting for a very long time and then I see them and they say, I've been waiting for eight or nine hours and I need you to sign this and I have bought seven of your CDs and you really need to take photos with me. I mean, they're just so persistent. Like, I am a good fan. And I deserve this <laughs> moment. And, I'm, and I always look and I say, yes, you do. <laughs> so I wouldn't say that's obnoxious at all. I think it's wonderful.
0: I, I don't think what If you're Obnoxious you're not really a fan from what you're
1: No, and I've never really I've never really had an obnoxious fan. You know, I don't I don't And I don't take offense to any flirting or provocative commentary. I think it's wonderfully rude.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Our next question is by Brenda Jam from London. Brenda Jam, um, is there ever a time you feel scared of your monsters? Mm.
1: Scared of my monsters? Not often. I would say ninety-nine point nine infinity percent of the time, I'm not afraid of my monsters. But there, you know, every once in a while, uh, there perhaps is a very extra troubled fan that. Really wants to see me or speak to me, and uh, I'm always quite funny about it because you know my security will go crazy and freak out, and and I'm like, oh, they're rad, it's okay, they just you know they need someone to talk to, and I I've actually before um, in situations like that um, actually contacted parents and told them I thought that their their little monster needed some help and some attention and some love. Uh, so, no, I'm not afraid. One time someone came on stage once, and I don't was know how they got on stage. Was that in Japan? Yeah. Yeah, I heard about I that. I got scared for a second. Because, you know, you never really know. You, never re- you know, people take drugs, and they're having a good time at the show. You never really know what's going to happen. But I wasn't really scared. I was just kind of surprised. Uh, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I'm very often scared now.
0: It's more surprised and concerned.
1: Yeah, it's more surprised mm. and concerned. I just want to help them. Uh, and I, I, I've talked to my fans all the time. So uh, no, I would not say, I would certainly never say I'm scared.
0: Okay, um, our next question is by um, Takashi Murakami from Japan. Um, and his question wow. is, um, what is your favorite monster? Literally monster, not referring to your fans. Favorite animal in folklore or mythology and favorite scary story? My favorite
1: monster? Well, I guess one of my favorite monsters, which is the one that I am most afraid of, is the anglerfish, which is actually in the show. It, it was my childhood fear. I know,
0: the anglerfish, it's horrible It's terrifying.
1: Level. It's absolutely terrifying.
0: Is it, it's phosphorus or something, isn't it, that, like, lures things in I
1: don't know in. what it is,
0: but it's completely <laughs> Sorry, terrifying. Sorry, I don't want to make you relive. Really I'm ag- upset
1: right now. <laughs> it's completely terrifying. And um, so we thought it was fitting in the show to build a giant 50-foot anglerfish that I kill at the end of the show. Maybe I shouldn't give that away. (laughs) Um, But uh, it's it's completely terrifying. So I guess I suppose that he is my favorite because Mm -hmm. it is my childhood monster. My favorite monster from mythology, the unicorn. I love the unicorn. I suppose the unicorn is a monster.
0: Uh, it his favorite animal in folklore Laura mythology. Oh, so perfect. we can say the unicorn. The unicorn.
1: Half animal, half monster, half magic
0: and poetry. And your favorite scary story?
1: My favorite scary story? The one that I'm gonna dream about tomorrow night. I have incessant nightmares, but I've learned to love them because they somehow end up on stage or in my work.
0: Fantastic. Do they inspire you? Is it like a Karl Lagerfeld thing? Do you dream a vision? Always. The way he dreams the Chanel shows? Always.
1: <laughs> I'm also terrified of the devil.
0: Well, that the next question I'm gonna ask you is from Tatin in Hong Kong, which is, do you believe in God? Yes. And the devil?
1: And the devil. I believe in both. I had this dream quite recently that was so terrifying, so morbid and terrifying. And I called, um, I called Deepak Chopra, who I work with, and I was telling him my dream, terrified that the devil and I, the dream was so terrifying. I thought somehow a a devil force was trying to take hold of me, a darkness. Mm. I, I guess I see devil and darkness as. The same thing and he laughed and told me that I was very creative <laughs> and that that's what it represents learn to bra- embrace my insanity
0: so, okay our next question <laughs> is by um, I Ma- certainly believe in God though. yes our next question is by Matthew Williams from London oh. um, and he says my favorite tattoo of yours is Tokyo love what will your next tattoo be and where on your body will it be
1: I don't know. I um, I want to get one that says "Born This Way."
0: In advance of the film, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I want to get one that says "Free Bitch," I think. But I'm uh, I'm not quite sure.
0: I always wanted one of Madame de Pompadour, which is a little weird. I love Madame de Pompadour. I love really that. Am so I think that, that, with her. That,
1: that tattoos have powers, mm. so I'm always interested in injecting some new powerful force into me. So I've, I mean, I've also actually fantasized about getting Mary Magdalene um, or Joanne, mm. which means so much to me. So I, I I'm not sure. I, 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 know what I want, but I, I very free and. In the moment of wanting tattoos, I have sort of a list of tattoos I want to mm. get in the future, and then is it quite the impulsive?
0: All of a sudden, you're very like, impulsive. Okay, I'll do it now. I'll just
1: be like, oh, let's go get a tattoo today, and I go. I don't really plan it or think mm. about it too much.
0: Okay, this is a question from a, a few different people. Um, so it's been asked by Megan from Glasgow, Whitney from Wilmington, um, Catherine from Perth, and also Raquel Zimmerman from New York. Um, And the question is, how do you feel, how did you feel playing face to face with Elton John at the 2010 Grammys?
1: I felt so happy and so joyful and so grateful and, you know, you can really see it on my face in that performance that I'm just having the best time. And it was was kind of a transition for me in what we were speaking about Mm. when you asked me the Madonna question It was a transition because I was really beginning to build these wonderful friendships with people that I admire so much. And it was a bit like, you know, the Berlin Wall falling was a nice moment for me. I felt like I could really let my my guard down after that.
0: So it was a bit of a watershed moment for you.
1: Yes, because I, 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 as an artist, I feel like I constantly have something to prove to myself, perhaps, or to my fans, or something to give, Mm. something to, a point to prove, a message to to prove, Um, part of the process, um, proving the process Mm. over and over again, and... um, and in that moment I felt very free, I felt very, very ready for a new proof, a new smell, <laughs> new age of my,
0: my music. Fabulous. Okay, I'm just loading up our next one. Um, our next question's from Naomi Campbell oh. from London. Um, and Naomi asks, who would you love to duet with, Dead or Alive?
1: With you, Naomi. I love Naomi Campbell. Naomi's wonderful and amazing, and I love the charity work that she does. She's, especially for Haiti. I mean, she's really wonderful.
0: Um, Is there anyone besides Naomi? Or well, we want uh, no, to say I'm, Naomi? Gonna <laughs> I'm gonna answer, I'm um, gonna answer.
1: I would have loved to do a duet with Judy Garland. I would have really loved to have known her. John Lennon. David Bowie.
0: Is that the list? Yes. That's our definitive and list. And Nick Knight.
1: <laughs> But we, we sing, we do lots of duets together. Mm.
0: <laughs> I would really like to hear you do one with Nick Knight. That Nick would be, would be fabulous. Yes. Amazing. He will be marvellous. He has sort of a cadence to the way he speaks mm. too, so. Nick's question's the next question. I didn't plan that oh, at that's all, so but Nick's strange. question is the next question. That's, that's that, creative um,
1: consciousness.
0: Nick asks, Is there a song you would not sing?
1: Yes. I wouldn't sing anything hateful or violent in a hate-producing kind of way. I'm fascinated by war and violence, but I would not sing a hateful song.
0: Great. Okay. Our next question that's is from- That's a good question. That's Nick. a, good, that's qu- a good answer as well.
1: Question. Is there any song you would not sing? <laughs> I
0: love just Nick. just how Nick talks I well. love him so much, I can't We're not take allowed to, it. we can't make fun of Nick. Here. I'm not
1: making fun, <laughs> I love him. He's one, he's my favorite person.
0: Um, our next question is being asked by Stevie Wilson from Los Angeles. And Stevie asks, what things do you feel you have left to achieve? You've worked hard to become this sensation and your face, name, music and performances right down to the makeup are iconic and mimicked by other singers. How do you perceive your celebrity presentation and how will you evolve? Where will you be in five years?
1: Well, I have zero perception of my celebrity presentation. I hope to be not a celebrity. I can say that I hope that I am perceived as separate from the idea of celebrity. I can hope that I am perceived as important and loving and peaceful and enigmatic and I hope even more importantly that I'm perceived as good to my fans.
0: And is that, would you say that's what you want to achieve? Is that what you have left to achieve? Just to...
1: Well, I have so much to achieve. I mean, I have achieve, I've achieved nothing. You know, I, I feel like I've achieved nothing. I have so much to do. I've achieved my fans, my beautiful little monsters, but artistically, I have so much, so much to say and so much to do. And, and musically, I'm, I'm a garden. I'm not a desert. I have so, I have so much. To, uh, I'm so impossibly not finished, but I guess you could, you could say I always want to exist in a very separate space for my fans, a Gaga space, our separate monster space that is not imploded by, or, or uh, um, what is that word? A space that's impervious to anything else, that nobody can break through a cell wall A cell wall that that it cannot be penetrated, a safe haven. I want to be relevant and irrelevant all at once.
0: How do I look, Liz? Okay, um, our next question is from Brett Easton Ellis from Los Angeles. Um, um, He asks, do you agree with the following statement? Women are crazy vaginas. Women are
1: crazy vaginas, no. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) Although I think it's very funny. It's very it's very um, uh, general isn't it
0: mm. it's a bit too, it's too general. that's quite a good I answer don't know how no that's too general
1: that's too general oh no, but I also would say that every vagina feels different <laughs> I can't possibly tell you how your vaginas feeling today Ruth I don't know
0: that's a f- <laughs> the answer would be no that's too general. I just heard
1: someone laughing through the speaker. <laughs>
0: No, that's too general. Every vagina feels different. I think that's a bit of a wonderful answer. Okay. <laughs> what well, do you think so? If you want my opinion, I think that, that's a well, great I, answer. That's your opinion
1: matters, Alex. Thank you. <laughs> Can I have some more tea, please?
0: Okay, we're on question number 42. Oh, goodness. Um, and it's Thanks. by Spencer in Nampa. And Spencer's question is, what's the nerdiest thing you've ever done?
1: The nerdiest thing? I'm very nerdy every day, so I don't know if I could even find a way to separate. I'm quite nerdy. Um. Well, right now, we are in the middle of trying to um, extract what. (laughs) It's so nerdy. (laughs) Me and the House of Gaga wants to know what. We want to know what the effect of the smell of blood has on people. (laughs) So we want to figure out what that is. Is that, that's so nerdy. But it's,
0: it's very science, very sort of I'm weird sure, science. Yeah, I
1: just, we really want to know. <laughs> I,
0: think that, I think that's suitably nerdy. Is that
1: suitably yeah. nerdy?
0: <laughs> I think so. Okay, um, this question is by, um, uh, again, a number of people. It's by uh, Murrah. Marisol Celine in Belgium, uh, Madison Logan in Beaufort mm. in South Carolina, Liam R. Findlay in Weymouth, and also has also been asked by Kate Moss from London. Oh. And the question is Hi, Kate. If you decided to have children, what would you call them? I'm not sure how many you would decide to have. I like Annabelle.
1: I like Lennon for a girl. I think John Lennon? Yes. I also like Joey for a boy after my father. And um, Joanne. I love Joanne. Great. I've always liked Sophia too. <laughs> Sophia Loren.
0: Do you want me to go back and add Sophia?
1: Sure. Who knows how many kids I'll have.
0: <laughs> you need plenty of names. I just, just ready. What? You need plenty of names ready, just in case. Yeah, just in case, you know.
1: Not for a long time I'm terrified of having children.
0: <gasps> okay, our next question is by Aline. Macedo, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, from Brazil. Um, who is the most interesting person you've ever met? Interesting person.
1: I don't want to offend anyone. Probably my grandmother. I suppose you don't really meet your grandmother, but. My grandmother, oh my, 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 both my grandmothers actually, both my grandmothers, my mother's side and my father's side, They um, they are so strong, they have been through so much and they both came from nothing and they just are the strongest, most irreplaceable women. So deeply loved by their husbands as well which I think to be fascinating and impossible for me to be such a strong woman and to find a man that will impossibly love you without making them feel insecure impossible but my both my grandmother's and my mother have done that so I suppose the three the trinity of women in my life have been the most interesting as my My grandmother, Veronica. My grandmother, Angelina. And my mother, Cynthia. They're the most, they're my, they are my my trinity of my womanhood. I suppose they're also the reason that I'm a feminist, but it's quite crazy, isn't it, that I'm a feminist, and yet, What's so lovely about it is so many people have this misinterpretation of feminism as man-hating, which it isn't, it's, it's got nothing to do with that. I really admire my,
0: my grandmothers and my mom. Fantastic. I think my mom's probably
1: Right. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I you've I, mean, say I, I could say someone that I've met recently, but to be completely honest, that I think an interesting person is someone that teaches you something about your life and how you can.
0: And your family teaches you. And your you more family than teaches else. you
1: more than anybody.
0: Okay. Our next question is by um, Racia Ventasik. I think that's your name. I'm really sorry about mispronouncing it dreadfully. I'm sure I did. It means um, and she's from California. Um, did you miss having a lady gaga in the 90s while you were a teenager to be a fan of and to identify with?
1: No, I guess I didn't because I suppose I didn't know what a Lady Gaga was <laughs> yeah, I didn't know I always knew it was my destiny to be an entertainer but I didn't uh, I was ready to be be the new thing I um, I always admired the women that I grew up watching, all the pop stars, Brittany and Christina, and I was a big Layla Kay fan and Madonna and Blondie and Patti Smith and Linda Perry and four non-blondes. and I could go I could go on and on and on about so many but I guess I'm speaking specifically about when I was in the 90s I was in, in 1990 I was 4 so I'm speaking specifically about until I was mm. about 15 years old which would mean that I was in my younger I was in my younger years and I listened around when I was thirteen. That's when I started to re-listen to older music. So I was more into Zeppelin and and Queen and and Pink Floyd. So I, I wasn't really I I kind of went through a transition where I, which is very much you can see now in my performance style, much more androgynous. I was much more obsessed with male rock stars, at a certain point, and Bowie to be particular. So. I didn't identify with women as much in the '90s. I guess you could say, also. So I was more obsessed with men and grunge. I loved Kurt Cobain. I mean, I was, I was, a, I, I loved so many different kinds of music. But um, a female figure, perhaps I was, I was too young to know what what could become. But now, now here we are.
0: Um, Our next question is from Stephen Gann in New York.
1: Stephen O.B. Magazine is my favorite magazine in the history of magazines. And Stephen Gann, you know, I may have said, if I hadn't said my mother and my mother and my two grandmothers, I may have said Stephen Gann because Stephen Gann is one of the most interesting people I've ever met and most lovely, wonderful, interesting people. He's amazing.
0: Well, Stephen asks um, at the Met, Oprah Winfrey called you some kind of spiritual and cultural leader. How do you feel about that? And what do you do to uphold that? As in, do you think of yourself as a role model to younger people and kids? Yes,
1: I do, and I appreciate so much that that Oprah said that. Oprah is wonderful and and su- a, a, such a wonderful inspiration as well. And and and. Um, you know, things change, you know, like I said, I didn't have much, very much perception of the way people lead me up until a, a certain point, point. and then once you start to gauge who's watching and who's listening, you start to think about, okay, now what do I want to say now? Particularly with my next album, I'm much more self-aware of my spiritual and um, leadership connection to my little monsters and and the world in the way that any artist is a leader in that way and I um, I don't particularly think that things like sex and drugs and talking about um, things openly in that way are wrong or, or necessarily bad mm. for for young kids but I think that the most the most terrible thing that you can do is be uh, prejudiced. And I, I would say that emphatically in my career, I am against prejudice. I am very against prejudice. I am very against um, judging any particular kind of person or people or, or or thing or idea. I think it is very important to be free and, and full of non judgment. So I guess I would say that is my, that is how I. How I religiously and spiritually mm. lead my fans is in that way, and and I um, I uh, I'm okay with I'm okay with that responsibility. I wasn't always quite aware of it, and I'm aware that in my work sometimes I get a bit, you know, I don't think about it mm. sometimes in my videos and in my music and in my lyrics because there's also
0: personal expression personal
1: expression and also I have older fans and Mm -hmm. and Insecure and fans who need and want to hear how I really feel about things. So there's a balance. You've got to keep a balance Uh, I can't only think about um, Doing what's wrong doing what's wrong or right is so is so it's so religious. Mm. That is what religion is, isn't it? What's wrong and what is right. And and I think religion is completely bogus. So I think, you know, in the most spiritual and religious kind of <laughs> way that I am, I believe in God and I'm a very religious Catholic person, but religion is quite bogus, isn't it? Because no religion doesn't hate one mm. kind of person. So it's very confusing for me. I'm still I still there's, struggle with this kind
0: of spirituality and this religion and it's how those two right interrelate and
1: now I don't know if someone would be perhaps offended that I said religion is bogus and they don't want their Eleven-year-old to hear that statement, but I it's feel that opinion. I am a, a good opinion mm. about What is taught to young people and how we are mind-controlled by whatever forces that be to believe or see things in a certain way and I think the most important thing that they need to learn is to love and to be non prejudiced. That's good teaching. And that's um, what I think. Mom, grandma, good <laughs> listening.
0: Our next question is a little bit, well, pulling away a little bit from that. It's by um, Javier Perez from Los Angeles. <laughs> um, and Javier asks What's the one thing even your best friends don't know about you until now?
1: Well, Javier, who is one of my best friends, that even my best friends don't know about me. Hmm. Probably how much I really miss you. and how, I hope you know this, but I would not be where I am today without all of my wonderful and closest friends. So forgive me for being sappy, but (laughs) just in case we needed to clear that up, there you go.
0: I'm sure they like to hear it, even if it is a little bit sappy. I tell them all the time, but
1: <laughs> I mean, to be honest, there's probably not very much that they, that they don't know. And if they don't know, it's for a reason. A reason.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, our next question is um, from Gray and Conway in Toronto. And his question is, what is your attitude towards collaboration with peers in the pop music scene? Is it an idea which scares, excites, or even interests you?
1: Um, At this very moment, I really don't want to do any collaborations, especially contemporary ones, because I want to really stand on my own two feet and make this new album Is my... my moment to create what will later be perceived 20 years from now as my iconic, my iconic moment. That's what you should always be, I think, striving mm-hmm. for. So um, I think sometimes, especially today, collaborations are not the same as they used to be. Uh, you collaborate to get your song on a different radio format or to uh, up your record sales or get people to pay attention to you. By putting a superstar on your record, and I, I just think it's kind of trivial and boring. So, um, I the only reason I d- did that collaboration with Beyonce is because I genuinely love her, <laughs> and I genuinely wanted to collaborate with her. And there's no other reason uh, to collaborate with someone. And she is a, she is a real good person, Beyonce. I mean, I would say she is my favorite contemporary person, uh, in in pop music. Uh, She is my favorite, she is a lovely, lovely person and she is so kind and uh, I just, I don't know how anyone could ever say one bad thing about her, to be honest.
0: Good answer. So I just wanna make sure that we have um, today collaborations are about appealing to a wider market and gaining radio plays and album sales is that kind of above artistic integrity would you say is that sort of your problem with it
1: or beneath like you know to me artistic integrity is
0: is, are you saying that they're trying to push it above artistic integrity whereas you you will only collaborate with someone like beyonce if you feel that you should if i feel that i "Mm." should
1: yeah exactly you know there's no reason to just put someone on a record because it's it's um, fashionable, fashionable or yeah. and good for you. Cool. You know, it's, you should do it
0: because you want to. Brilliant. Okay, our next question is from Joe 3H Weinberger in Los Angeles. Ugh. He's got a very simple question. Um, Tupac versus
1: Biggie. Ugh. <laughs> Joe, you are, Biggie. Biggie. I'm sorry, I'm being crucified for that one. Can <laughs> I choose both? But I'm I'm Biggie.
0: We could put can I choose both? Can I choose both? Can I, I choose both, that's a good answer.
1: They're both amazing. It's I mean, a very you,
0: diplomatic you, answer.
1: I mean, but, but Biggie is, you know, I gotta be honest But what I listen to. Dead wrong, I mean, what are you gonna,
0: come on. Okay, our um, next question is by, I think it's um, Jere, or Jere, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it, J-E-R-R-E, from the Netherlands. Um, And their question is, what question do you want to be asked? What question has no interviewer ever asked you, but you would love to answer?
1: How are you? (laughs) I rarely get asked, how are you? How are you? I'm great. Great.
0: Had to do that. I knew that it, I was whatever <laughs> you said. I hoped it wasn't going to be too huge and complicated. Yeah, but there you it's go. not. That's fab. Okay.
1: Because you know, people say, you know, nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. How are you? But no one ever really asks you, like, how, how are you? How are you? What's going you on okay? with you? How are you? Like, you know. And sometimes, you know, you meet people, someone in a bar, mm-hmm. and they say, like, how you doing? And I don't get to experience that anymore Mm. because, you know, it's how are you? Please sign this. (laughs) That's a bit different. So I appreciate the how are you.
0: Okay. um, Our next question is from Gareth Pugh. Oh, Gareth. And Gareth's question is, um, I see all these pictures of you getting off a plane in an outfit, a full-on head-to-toe look. I want to know how you do it. I can't really picture you in a virgin sleep suit, but I'm assuming the plane is one place where you can catch up on your sleep. So what happens between the plane and the arrivals lounge?
1: I sleep in all my glamorous glory.
0: Is it a bit like Dynasty? Is it like a full face of makeup? Yeah,
1: it is. It's very funny, actually. Jimmy Iovine, who's the president of Interscope Records, we took a flight together from uh, Heathrow to uh, Los Angeles I think it was and he was pissing himself laughing because he could not understand how I was watching a movie for like 12 hours straight watching watching movies drinking my out of my teacup full makeup and and outfit and hair done and he was laughing so hard he could not understand and he said, "I reminded him of Stevie Nicks." He said, "Stevie Nex is the same way." I can't help. I am the way that I am a lady. <laughs> I don't want to be seen in a virgin, a virgin, virgin mobile,
0: <laughs> sweatsuit. Damn right. Oh, I can't. Um, well, that's giving the game away to you. What? So, the next, well, the next question, or one of the questions that's coming up, which I will ask you now. Let me just find it for you. It's from Harmony Corrine. Um, and his question is, for two days worth of world peace, would you eat a hamburger made of human flesh? Yes. Just for two days? See, that, my debate was, would I do it just for two days? Yes. Would I want the whole thing? Yes. Yes? Yes. Without a second thought?
1: Without a second thought. Fantastic. Anything is worth two days of world peace. Any, any, anything is worth one day of world peace. Except I wouldn't kill anyone, obviously. But I guess, suppose you'd have to kill someone to make (laughs) the burger, (laughs) would you?
0: Well, we could specify that it needed to be from It would have to be, okay, to (laughs)
1: clarify, I would not be killing the human being that I would be eating. And it would have to be a cadaver of someone that had already passed. So it would have to be an old, Old lady
0: burger. you're making this worse for yourself as well
1: <laughs> I'm just being honest
0: mm. So a cadaver of someone once passed and i was <laughs> doing the killing oh.
1: I like well, the Nick Knight made me eat a bovine heart Remember Nick he's so conveniently in the back room <sighs> He wanted me to confront my fears about my father's heart surgery so he gave me a bovine heart to do a performance art piece that he and Ruth filmed. And I took a big bite out of that for you. And I didn't get world peace. I just did it for art. Suffering for for a performance art piece.
0: Okay. Our next question is from... Couldn't eat
1: for <laughs> fucking two weeks. Ruth was sitting on the side like... I don't
0: I... think... I can't... They've uh, shown me the video. I couldn't watch the video, to be honest. My I'll fans be... watch
1: it every night.
0: Um, our next question is from Daphne Guinness from London. Daphne! And Daphne's question is...
1: I love her so much.
0: Daphne's question is, do you think the arts can change the future for the present that we all seem to be in is certainly not the one I envisaged?
1: I do. I do think that we can change the future with our voices and with art and with music and with fashion. And I know why she feels that way but I will say so genuinely and authentically that to you Daphne, when I met you, you changed my future. I somehow found like this kindred human being that is so special and wonderful that made me for a moment feel okay about things that I'm insecure about.
0: That really links quite nicely with the next question. um, I love Daphne. Which is from um, Kathy Horin in New York. And her question is, I'm wondering to what extent your style has been influenced by Isabella Blow and Daphne Guinness. I detect not merely more high fashion in your look, but English flamboyance.
1: Isabella and Daphne are two genius women. Human beings, women, icons, but so much more than that, they are for me a way to look into myself and examine their lives and who they are in an effort to understand myself better. Isabella is an enormous inspiration and so is Daphne and I I cherish their lives The late Isabella and the living and breathing and beautiful Daphne that I could not live without I I cherish them both I cherish them both as if we were cut
0: from the same cloth I've got one final question. It's it's
1: very funny to just just to say that before I met Daphne, I used to get confused with as her all the time. People would say Daphne, <laughs> or they would say, "Do you know Daphne?" Daphne will love you, or they would say, "My God, you look like Isabella," and I would terrify people. I McQueen used to terrify him and and Philip. I mean, they were like we, they couldn't and. Um, and uh, people, the same for for Daphne. People have have said to her, uh, "Oh my God, I love your music." And she's like, "I'm not Lady Gaga. I'm Daphne." <laughs> and she's so wonderful and lovely, and you know what a good person. And and I guess like I, there's something lovely about that, isn't there? It's Absolutely. Just, you get connected. Right when it. it's
0: someone that you really admire, and it goes. Oh, like I that as well.
1: love her. She's and when I met her, we talked for hours. It was like I couldn't stop. We couldn't stop talking. She's just a She's a creature, a beautiful creature.
0: Okay, there's one last question, which isn't really a question, and it's from Celeste in Pennsylvania. And her question is, you are amazing. Instead of being asked a specific question, is there any specific thing that you would like to say to your fans right now?
1: I would like to say to all my little monsters, who I love so much. I Cannot imagine my life without you Nor can I imagine my my future without you and I sometimes even question how I survived without you before you I Will Forever I passionately only serve
0: you. Fantastic. I love you. Thank you very much,
1: Thank I you love you. I Thank you. Alex. Thank you. Alex. And I love Nick Knight and I love Show Studio.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. I you so thank you so much. Thank was, you. Oh, thank you were really fantastic. That was really fantastic. It was great. Really, really great.